This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Well, what's up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is Nate with Good Morning Liberty. Today, we're doing an interview with Caden Rosenbaum. Caden is the Tech and Innovation Policy Analyst at the Libertas Institute based in Utah. Caden has worked in D.C. tech policy for the past four years, publishing multiple articles, op-eds, regulatory comments, and policy briefs along the way. He is a Young Voices contributor, and today we're going to be talking about one of my least favorite aspects of our government, which is antitrust, the FTC. This should be fun. Here you go. Hey, I'm Caden Rosenbaum. I'm the Tech and Innovation Policy Analyst at Libertas Institute. It's spelled Libertas for those who don't understand what I just said out loud, which is understandable. It's Utah speak, which is where the think tank is located. And I wrote a piece about the FTC suing Facebook for trying to buy a VR company. I uh, I will admit I've said Libertas several times uh, up until up until maybe a few months ago. I just said Libertas. And the first time I interviewed someone and they said Libertas and I was like, what? Yeah. What are you talking and you about? Said, I, you're, you're weird. I Why thought, are you saying it that way? I thought you worked that's at Libertas. This must be a new job. Okay. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. So we're going to talk a little bit about the FTC uh, today. I will uh, start this off. I don't know where you're at on it, but I absolutely despise pretty much everything that they do. Uh, I think that the Sherman Act was one of the worst things that has happened. It's one of the first things I would ever repeal if I just had that power. I hate all of it, and I don't know if we're on the same level with that, but I'm just going to tell you where I'm coming from on this. So tell me about what Lena Khan is doing with Meta and Microsoft and all that. We're probably not on the same page in that <laughs> I don't like robocallers and I really hope the FTC cracks down on that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, as far as Lena Khan goes also with that, you know, I, I have mixed feelings, um, on a policy level, of course, I disagree with Lena Khan on most things, uh, including suing tech companies for trying to expand to markets like VR and XR <laughs> and all of that. But at a, just a personal level, uh, Lena Khan's rise to the chairmanship is, is something of an inspiration because she's uh, not very far out of law school. I'm not very far out of law school. And if you could just write two or three really good papers that people like and be uh, an FTC chairman, I mean, inspirational, right? Yes. That said, mm-hmm. let me reiterate for those who just totally tuned out because <laughs> they don't like Lena Khan. I don't agree with their policy uh, perspectives, but I do give her kudos for um, really hustling it out. I think that's really cool. <laughs> she is a, she's a, an innovator. She's a, yeah. she's a pioneer, uh, right now with some of these new things. So, so tell us about what they, from what I just read, maybe I'm wrong, but what they failed to do with Meta, uh, is that right? The, the ruling came down that Meta can buy this company, but then they're also working on Microsoft and some others right now. Yeah, so the Meta case was a loser, right? What the Meta case was was the FTC was suing Meta for to, to block a mer- or an acquisition of a VR company called Within. Uh, Within created that popular app. Uh, what is it? Uh, you know what it is, right? What? Why, why do we write about these things when we don't know what they're called? 
Right. Yeah, I can't so that's remember kind now. of the point. It's I think it's uh, it's a fitness game that they make, and that's kind of the point. No one really remembers it anymore. It's not as dominant as it was back when they were acquiring the company. And the, the problem is Meta was being sued for acquiring this game maker because the FTC was alleging this was an attempt to acquire out, you know, or acquire into a market and push all the competitors out using their large sites. It was a theory of future harms that could be uh, foreseen just by the sheer size and capability of Meta to do wrong. But the problem is companies don't just go out there to do wrong. Like we have these pictures of companies dumping oil drums in the river. Like that's a thing that they didn't think twice about, mm. right? Uh, we have all kinds of cartoons that do that or radioactive waste or something. And this is sort of like that, like, oh, they have the ability to push out competitors by using anti-competitive tactics. But just because someone has the ability doesn't mean that they do push out people using anti-competitive tactics. And even more so in this case, Within was just a, a VR game maker. It wasn't really a big competitor of Meta's. It's just something they wanted to expand into to grow the VR market and be you know, active in this market. So it was a really interesting case for that. But since that loss, uh, or I guess since the suit first came out, they also sued Microsoft for trying to acquire Activision, which is a, which is a really famous game maker. And it, at that point, I decided to deem this the FTC's war on gaming, mm. because we're, we're talking about gaming right now, uh, mm. harm in the gaming market, which is futuristic harm that's not realistic. Um, and that's what the court struck down. I mean, I haven't seen the full, uh, I haven't seen the full opinion of why this is happening. I'm not sure that it's out yet. But I'm guessing that the court said this is not real enough for you to be trying to block mergers. This is imaginary. With uh, with Meta, they said the court finds that objective evidence does not support a reasonable probability that firms in the relevant market perceived Meta as a potential entrant. Even if it did, the court finds that there is no direct or circumstantial evidence to suggest that Meta's presence did in fact temper uh, behavior or result in any other pre pre competitive benefits. Uh, so. This this pre yeah, this pre crime thing that they were trying to do, uh, it just uh, didn't work out for them. Maybe when they find yeah. some actual harm, they could sure. they could bring that back, and I would still disagree with it more than likely. Uh, but I or always say if, there, if there's like an email that's like, "Hey, let's buy within so that we could push out everybody in the market," like that, <laughs> that might work, right? Mm -hmm. But instead, it was like, "Let's just buy within." That seems like the right move. I've always wondered how upset I would be if I were uh, the person who created uh, within. And, uh, you know, one yeah. of my dreams was to get bought out for however many dollars by this massive company. And I'm like, oh, my God, I worked so hard my entire life building this thing. I don't know, the people are probably like 25 or something like that, whatever. But I worked really hard. And here they come to give me so much money. And then the government says that I can't like I've got to keep running can't this company. I've got to keep running yeah. this company and compete with Meta. What happens if Meta creates their own <laughs> fitness thing? with all of their billions right. of dollars and compete against me. And then I lose the entire company afterwards. You know, that's isn't, what they got to do. Isn't that just the dream of every regulator just to shut down uh, exit strategies for companies? Right? I guess, I guess so. And they, there's just so much, first off, they're, they're saying future harm in this market that barely exists. Like that they just, these people in the bureaucracy in these positions of power in the government, like they have any idea what the future market is. If they should, I recommend they go build the thing because they probably make a lot yeah. more money, but they've actually yeah, got exactly. no clue. <laughs> well, I mean, if you just look at this market in particular, it hasn't really come to the consumer level until 
uh, Meta acquired Oculus, which is the maker of Quest originally. Once they bought Oculus, it dropped the price of an Oculus Quest, which is the consumer headset that most of us use today. So like $499, $399 as compared to the competitors out there, that was like 1000 And Meta said, you know, we're not really trying to make money on this. We want to bring VR to the rest of the market, which was really smart because it's a really cool thing. And if people would just be able to afford one, put one on, and you could start to grow the metaverse, right? Uh, that's turned out to not be the greatest bet, it seems, right? But Meta is taking a hit on that mm. as far as growing that market and trying to make that profitable goes. But I still think it was a really big move. And it's the part of big companies sometimes to get into these emerging markets and pour their capital into it and say, hey, I'm putting my flag down. This is an important market for, for a market to grow in general. Uh, I think yesterday, even today, I saw finally... A headset that is it's this big it's just like goggles basically and the way it works is it plugs into a computer and all the external stuff is in the computer the goggles are super lightweight they don't give you like you know burn rings around mm. your face like we see with the quest uh frame rate's really good and it's it's just light and easy to use we wouldn't have gotten to this point uh, at least now if we wouldn't have had meta buying oculus and really pioneering some of this uh, VR technology. So when you're trying to shut down Meta from acquiring a, a game company like Within, that's when you start to see the red flags of regulation getting in the way of progress. And that's that's really what I argued in my piece. Is it's a war on gaming for no reason. This kind of gaming technology is new. We really need bigger dollars in the game at the moment to grow this market in the first place. Well, that's the thing you do talk about in the piece, how this can actually threaten innovation itself. And that is, uh, that's what we call an unseen problem. We don't know what the innovation is going to be. Uh, we don't know where these headsets and everything would be if it wouldn't have been for Meta and the other uh, big companies getting in. But so how does this prevent, uh, how does this actually stop innovation or at least uh, slow it down? So if the lawsuit were to prevail, and if these kinds of lawsuits keep happening, which it looks like they will, um, what's going to happen is people like Within who create this cool cool app or they want to get into the market and they have an exit strategy to get bought out at some point. They don't want to do this forever. They want to move on to other ventures or become like you know angel investors or something. They'll stop doing that as much. They might take more conventional routes, like join a company and try to work from the inside uh, bureaucracy to create something new, which often doesn't happen unless you've got Steve Jobs at the helm. Um, and, and that's going to happen less and less. We'll see new products with really aggressive innovators less and less. And we'll see less investors investing in those aggressive innovators. And that's the trend that we should expect to see. These kinds of suits are allowed to continue to happen without any check. And that really comes down to the, the consumer welfare standards that for decades guided the FTC and has now been repealed which gives the FTC really no North Star to follow when it comes to bringing these kinds of suits or figuring out what mergers to block. Uh, it's, it's really a big failure on, on the part of the regulators to pull that back. It's been a great thing for the country so far. Do you think they have more of a case with, uh, with Activision and Microsoft you know, than they do with the, with the meta thing? Uh, is there at least more of an argument there from the standpoint that they should even exist in the first place? I'll, I'll ignore, ignore that part. but. What do you think? Well, I think that the Activision case is a little different. I mean, I, I don't know if you noticed, but Activision Blizzard has had some real issues with uh, with 
I want to say this is the same company, right? That's had the, the discrimination problems, uh, the internal issues with HR. Mm. But on on another front, you know, what is, Activision is the company that has Call of Duty, which is really kind of niche at this point. I certainly don't play Call of Duty anymore. It's not because I was bad at it. It's because it's not as fun as other things. Um, it's not like a new innovator. It's just an old company. And so Microsoft buying it for Xbox uh, makes sense, but it's it's a little different than this isn't like a major innovator looking for an exit strategy. So, well, they might have a better case in terms of showing dollar amounts and things. It's probably still in the same vein as the meta case that it's going to come out as you're predicting future harms that probably won't happen. Now, as I mentioned earlier, I've read a lot of news pieces and they call Khan, uh, Lena Khan, a, um, an innovator, uh, a pioneer. And that's all really, that's all really gross to me when you're talking about all oh, these creating new ways to go after people, you know, it's a pretty dangerous situation. If your prices are too low, they could go, they, they could go after you for any competitive. If your prices are too high, they could go after you uh, for gouging. If your prices are the same, they could go after you for colluding or uh, yeah. having a cartel. It's kind of a kind of a minefield out there with all these businesses. Have they gone a little too far with all this? I think that up until this point, right, the, the cases that they would bring against companies were if they actually found harm, that's when they would win. If they didn't find harm, that's when they wouldn't win. And by harm, I mean harm to consumers meaning they can't get a cheaper price because someone's colluding. Uh, they can't get a cheaper price because uh, someone's driving out competitors, things like that. They didn't find real harm before they actually brought suit. But now when we when we pull back that North Star that I was talking about, the consumer welfare standard, it's less clear what they're going to bring suits for. Uh, it's not so much consumer harm as it is theoretical harm. And it's, it's even worse that they're really kind of pushing out economists in these instances and pulling in lawyers like me. Because economists are there to say, this is what I predict in the future. Lawyers are there to say, this is what I imagine to happen. And that's the real problem there. Uh, before any of this, she was pioneering a new way to go after tech companies by saying, you know, there's this future harm. But it was kind of just uh, theory. And now that we're in the realm of reality, uh, those kinds of claims, those ideas really need to be taken seriously because uh, they're a real threat to innovation. So what is the, uh, I know we've kind of said it a few times, but what is this North Star? What is the solution uh, that you think they they should follow? And how much of this is endangered by, say, a court precedent? What I worry about is uh, if the court would have ruled in the other direction here with Meta, then they would have been able to use that to go after a lot of other things where they could predict future harm. Um, but what what is the direction that that North Star that they should be following? You know, I think that, uh, I've put a lot of thought into this. I've been trying to write a North Star uh, myself, and it's really hard not to just say the consumer welfare standard, just to look at harm to consumers. But if there's anything to take away from this, the FTC shouldn't just be bringing suit to bring suit. They really need to make sure that they're going to win. It's not theoretical. And uh, one of the articles that I linked to in mine uh, points out that you know the FTC isn't necessarily suing because it thinks it's going to win. And even if it loses, it's really not a bad thing. They're just trying to lay out this precedent by saying, you know, court said no for this very niche reason. Uh, court said no for this niche reason, but it's neither of these two niche reasons. It's this other niche reason. And then you get like a yes, which is powerful, right? It is the precedent you need to continue these suits. I think other things like robocallers, uh, like uh, phone scammers and privacy, 
are way more important things to be going after, especially since we're talking about gaming. I mean, who cares is kind of the thing that I think a lot versus, you know, my grandma being asked to go buy $500 Walmart gift cards and we have no enforcement tools to stop that. I think that that's way more important than some of these antitrust suits. I uh, completely agree with you on that. As someone whose uh, family has had to deal with all of that stuff, I would like to see them spend more time on the things that are actually harming uh, the people and what I would like to see is uh, when they do these suits, I would like it to be brought by someone who was harmed by it uh, instead of, which is difficult, I guess, if you think they're creating yeah. an anti-competitive environment. Maybe there aren't any people that are harmed by it yet, but also right. it's a new it's a new market and just deciding that you're, man, I, I'm so I'm so biased against this. I don't even know if I can if I can say what they should do. I'm like, yeah, let's just delete the whole thing. But I guess that's not right. <laughs> Delete, start over, refresh. <laughs> so, uh, perspective. <laughs> what else are you? Uh, what else are you working on? I see you uh, writing a lot. I actually thought at first when I saw your name, I thought that you were on here earlier, but it was a piece that I had talked to them about having you come on to talk about having to do with Twitter. Uh, I believe. Oh yeah. Um, didn't get to come on to talk about that one, but what else are you working on right now? So right now, as part of my work uh, in Utah, I'm really heavily focused on the Utah legislature. And one of the one of the two bills that I'm watching right now in the legislature are social media bans for minors and adolescents, which if if you look at the argument there, it's that you know teens are suffering uh, higher rates of self-harm, depression, and anxiety than they were since you know, 1988 to 1990. I think it's the last time we saw this kind of a spike. And some people like Jonathan Haidt have argued that that's because of social media. Um, I don't think so. I really deep down don't think that that's the cause. I think that there have been a lot of other things going on, like you know, a global pandemic, uh, schools being shut down, kids being taken away from their friends, not really a dependence mm-hmm. on social media for how they feel about themselves or how they should feel. Um, but that doesn't really matter because I'm I'm a followless adult and I don't have kids. And so my opinion is less uh, credible in that matter than, uh, say, a legislator who's bringing a bill like this. And I, I totally respect that someone would bring a bill like this, but early in this bill process, they've been really onerous. They want your government ID to verify that you're an adult. And if you want your kid on social media, they wanted uh, your kid to go get your consent, which means you give your ID, you give your uh, a physical address, and you give your kid's age, which oftentimes would mean your home address and the birth date of your kid. And if that gets leaked, that's a really nice list for predators mm-hmm. on the dark mm-hmm. web. That's really bad. And so they, they've taken they've taken out some of those portions, but I still think that that premise um, going after social media companies for some harm that may or may not exist to teens is a little, uh, it's a little forward in terms of enforcement and to put that in the law makes it a little bit worse. It, um, so I've been following that and, and that's been a big issue. But the other one, the more positive note is the gig worker issue that I've been working on, which is to say, I've been trying to figure out how to get gig workers benefits and I've tried this every which way I could. I thought it was a classification problem, make them definitely independent contractors. So, you know, platforms wouldn't feel nervous about legal liability to give benefits. Turns out that's not the solution, at least the one that I think is the solution. What I've come up with is called portable benefits. Just to say, um, if a gig worker wants something like auto insurance and a platform is willing to provide it, just create an exemption in the law that says contributions to portable benefits don't count for anything. But for like gig workers, it's everything. That's been the other 
big issue that I've been working on that I'm really more happy about. It's more optimistic. It's not uh, talking about teens on social media so much, right? <laughs> yeah, for the gig worker thing, uh, that's been something I've followed a lot because of this, uh, the PRO Act that they've been trying to get through, which I'm... Yeah clearly very much against. Uh, but I also did a lot of gig work for a while. Uh, a few years back, I was doing Uber and Lyft all the time as my 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 full-time employment. And I was very happy with the fact, you know how we talked about I was traveling a lot before we started recording? Yeah. Well, when, yeah, yeah. I, when I would come home, since it wasn't uh, insanely lucrative while I was gone traveling, I, when I would come home, I would drive uh, for Uber and Lyft and all of that. It was really nice not being an employee uh, but being able to choose when I wanted to and when I didn't want to work. I found that uh, that was something I really cared a lot about and is very helpful, but things like the PRO Act, that's not good. If you can find ways yeah. for benefits that don't turn people into employees also, I right. think that'd be a really good solution. Yeah, I mean, what's the, what's the real issue that they're trying to solve in all of this? I mean, besides wanting to establish more unions, I get that. <laughs> But what's the issue? Like, why are unions in existence in the first place? It's to give people a better standard of life, uh, get them better pay, better benefits. And if that's all that's standing in the way between everyone being happy, why not just remove the legal liability that comes with offering benefits? And that's where we we wound up. Uh, wrote a big brief about it, a couple articles. Um, there's a bill coming down in the Utah legislature that we're supporting because it just creates that exception in the state law of Utah, but it's also a federal issue. And that's the other part of this is that the, you know, the DOL has this rulemaking to try to make gig workers employees. What if we said, hey, hold your, hold your horses, you know, let's just try this out first. Uh, the IRS has a 20-factor test that needs to have contributions taken out of it. Uh, there's a lot of work to be done to really make this happen, but it's a lot easier than just re, you know, upping people's lives and changing the way they work simply because you've got this problem that's totally solvable. Uh, my my assumption is, uh, just speculation, that there's a lot of people that run unions that would disagree with your approach on this thing, uh, more, oh, yeah. <laughs> more than likely. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, uh, Kate, and, I, and I mean, I, I really think that it comes down to, you know, what's the real, what's the real focus of all this? And it's always workers and making them uh, better off. And I think that that's where the common ground is, whether anyone wants to acknowledge it or not, it's, what the goal here is. And so uh, I'm always open to hearing from others who don't really agree with me on this issue, especially because I know that what I'm at is helping workers. Yeah. If that is the true focus and the true goal, then they should, everyone should be open to pursuing yeah. those things. And when it comes to the social media bans thing, um, I don't see a way of working that out that also protects people's privacy and, and liberties. Uh, it doesn't sound enforceable uh, to me. It sounds, uh, very dangerous. And with all the, the data leaks that we've heard uh, come from them having to, now I've already, I've had to send all my proof because we run a political page and we run ads. And so I've had to do all of that with them. But everyone having to do that, first off, that'd be extremely damaging for those companies uh, because a lot of oh, people yeah. would not would not do that, which there are some people who would love to to see that kind of damage take place, I'm sure. But even past that, there's so many ways around all of these things that it's just not going to be enforceable. I think those problems, uh, first off, there's a correlation issue, uh, a correlation correlation causation issue with the social media. And also a lot of these problems need to be solved at home and not by people in the government, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that perspectives are different, of course. I mean, someone who's uh, in their 40s doesn't, doesn't remember growing up with the internet. 
Uh, I remember growing up with the internet with uh, my Razer flip phone and um, I, you know, that was the way I communicated with MySpace and things and did Farmville when I got to Facebook and it wasn't mm. harmful for me. Uh, I didn't see any of these effects. And, but uh, I don't know that my experience, like a 40-year-old's experience, is the same as someone on the internet now. And I think that's worth addressing. I think that's worth pointing out. But to say that you know for sure this is the cause is a little, it's a little fishy. And I think there was this 13-year-old who came and testified against the bill and she said, you know, is this the way to make us better uh, with social media is to just ban it outright and not teach us how to use it? And I thought that was the most powerful testimony because she's the one growing up with social media. She's the one impacted. That's what she had to say about it is teach me how to use this, you know, effectively and safely. Don't just remove it. Because I think deep down, I mean, once she turns 18 and goes out into the world, there's going to be all these trends that she misses. There's going to be all these socialization things that happen for society writ large that won't happen in Utah, they'll be missing out. And they won't be able to really engage with society the same way as someone in any other state would. And I think that that's problematic as well. That's great. I actually want to find that uh, that testimony. Maybe you can um, maybe you yeah. can email that yeah, to yeah. me sometime because that that is exactly <laughs> the problem. Like uh, when you just ban things, you stop people from doing things, you don't actually solve what the problem is. You, pe- people don't actually learn how to deal with these things. And then when they turn 18, just thrown out into this world, don't know how to deal with it. Uh, I think we already have that issue a lot in society with yeah. different things. So um, yeah. we've, uh, we've got we've to cut this one short. I'm loving the conversation, but um, maybe you can come back on once we got some, some more pieces involving anything, gig work, the social media bans, uh, or anything else you got. I would love to have you come back on and talk about it. Sounds great. I'd love to come back. Uh, where can people go, by the way, to follow you? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter uh, at Caden Rosenbaum, C-A-D-E-N-R-O-S-E-N-B-A-U-M. It's a really long spelling, I know. Just do your best. I'm I'll sure put, a, I'll put a link. I'll put a link in the show yeah, notes. Yeah, we'll put a link. We and then uh, you can also find me on Libertas Institute's website, which is libertas.org. I'm not going to say Libertas because it's hard to spell. <laughs> if I say Libertas, no one knows what I'm saying. I get that. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram at Caden04. I've really begun posting videos on there where I explain policy. I try to make it entertaining by putting music and getting a little creative with the the film and the photography I'm using. So you might find me there as well. I think I'll be engaging there in the future. All right. Well, I hope, uh, you know, we discussed a little little bit earlier, but I hope you have a fun Valentine's Day uh, night. Uh, I guess if I don't put this out today immediately, that could sound a little bit off to everyone. We're recording this and we're both hoping that our wives are very happy with everything that we've got planned. I think I fell short on Heart this shapes. one. But, um, Heart shaped sweet parts. Yes. Don't forget. There you go. I cannot forget <laughs> this. All right, Caden, thank you so much for coming by. <laughs> Thanks. Have a good one.